0: Hi, I'm Chelsea Wills. I'm an artist, mother, writer, and the person who asks a lot of the questions around here at Full Moon. I will be talking about what it means to live a creative life and why that matters right now. We will be hearing the stories of people who actually live creative lives, why they do it, and what it means. This podcast is part of a bigger project called Full Moon. Full Moon. Full Moon is an experiment in creative living for and by artists using livelihood as form. In that spirit, this show will be experimental. Sometimes this show will look like a series of meditations or audio tours, and often it will sound like conversations between people about their creative practices. Here we go. Kim Sitso is an interdisciplinary artist whose practice is located at the intersections of healing, critical thinking, activism, grief, and radical imagination, or pedagogy. Her interest in material functions to address complex entanglements of land use, history, and both political and deep ecology. Her multimedia projects bleed the boundary between the aesthetic and the political in order to foreground the ethical, and are guided by the understanding that we are our relations of responsibility to other, both human and non-human. Kim's work is inspired by a web of teachers, places, artists, herbalists, farmers, academics, activists, and healers, with several degrees from institutions of higher education, including an MFA in 2014. She is currently part of Shane Cases' year-long under the wing. She is currently part of Shane Cases' year-long under the Eagles' wing mentorship cohort. She is currently part of Shane Cases' year-long under the Eagles' wing mentorship cohort. She is a whiz—an anonymous identity that encapsulates her essential power. of Wiz world, a spec, a speculative magical feminist publication. She teaches free sculpture classes at the City College of San Francisco. Hey, Kim. <laughs> nice to be with you today. <laughs> um, I like to start asking people what a creative life means to them hmm. and how they live that or mm-hmm. what that feels like for them. So maybe we can start there.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I guess when I, I think of creativity, I think of it as something that's like very close to freedom, and how um, kind of developing that reflex enables, enables, at least the way I feel it in my life, enables me to, to have more options um, to open up my field of possibility and I think a lot of that I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher and so a lot of when I talk about like critical thinking, uh, I think of that as like kind of the foundation of, of creativity in some ways um, just the ability to like think around a problem and in and out of a problem instead of like just trying to go for like ending the problem. Um, So kind of like staying with things and just letting them do their work on you as much as you're like doing your work to try to figure them out. Um, And I I noticed that like times in my life where I feel really constricted and I feel really tight and like kind of stagnant or like I don't know where to go. It's like partly because I'm like not Participating in that process, and I'm, you know, try, just trying to kind of finish things and get to the next endpoint, and I'm not really um, engaging in like what the possibilities are along the way towards something. So um, I think like the gift of creativity is that, and like that ability to like know that like where there's there's all these restrictions that can come at us from outside. Like we have this inner space that we can. That we can cultivate and that we can use to transform at least how we perceive and participate in those structures.
0: So I think about this idea of edges and edges as places of friction like are visible at the edges. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing is this idea of inner and outer space and how that works in terms of in terms of different kinds of knowing. One of the things when we talked last week was hearing you talk about this friction between an academic life and a spiritual life mm-hmm. and that feels like you just named that mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> with those with those two things tell me what that what that where that friction point is and like what you like what makes you curious about it or where is that point of creativity or mm-hmm. curiosity in it does yeah. that make sense
1: yeah i think so i mean just as you're like kind of piecing that question together and just thinking about like just in in academia and you know i I teach at the city college of san francisco in the art department and i think there's something well and you know my background in academia is is through art and i feel like i'm really fortunate in that way because i i can see how these other departments like engineering and science are very geared towards like students like finding jobs and like unfortunately that's of the criticism that comes from the administration in terms of like the validity of art and like how does it help people find jobs you know and I, i feel like that's really missing the point of what art does because it kind of it gives us the space to like work on this critical thinking part and this creative construction and like creating problems that are totally invented by you and that you work your way out of and i feel like that's applicable to like every aspect of life And so when I'm in academia and trying to, like, learn this, like, kind of bureaucratic language and, like, everything just sounds the same and it's so boring, (laughs) you know, and it's not really saying anything, but it's, like, filling in all the fields of, like, the curriculum development software, you know, it's just, like, it feels very, like, deadening um, in a lot of ways, but then there's also ways that larger institutions, like, have these, um, Have resources and have access to certain demographics that, like, to do to do kind of like different projects in communities and things like would be hard to access otherwise. So that part of it, um, I I, I like, uh, but I just I find it hard the hardest when um, it's like outside of the classroom and, and just that that feeling of just constantly having to defend yourself and defend your validity um, as a as an artist like within this academic structure visit you know and I, I guess the history of of art entering the academy like it's never it's always kind of been a black sheep you know except for maybe these like big art institutions like you know like San Francisco Art Institute or schools that are specifically created for the study of that but I feel like when art has been in the fold of, like, research institutions. It's, you know, like, maybe not always taken as seriously as that that kind of experiential knowledge that's developed versus, like, learning theories and histories and sort of memorizing that and then plugging them into, like, current problems. Um, And so then I find that, like, my spiritual practice helps me to just, like, stay with myself in that that system and... um, just, like, knowing the ways that I can sort of, like, access my empathy and, and sort of some of the, like, the, the harder things that I've dealt with in my own, um, just, like, my own healing and how I can bring that into the classroom and especially in, like, critique settings where, like, a lot, of, a lot of stuff comes up for people and a lot of personal things emerge. And so being able to hold that space is really magical and I love that part. And I find, like, the, that's where the two worlds really kind of rub against each other in a nice way. But then I find it a little more friction when it's, like, I have to do a grade or and I have to, like, you know, um, I guess, like, justify why, you know, it's, it's better to have 15 people in a class than 25, you know. Um, so those kinds of, like... Just like the numbers, like coming against the, the numbers and the, and the sort of what the... what where the money goes, I guess.
0: Do you think there's space in that for that to also be like a creative problem to be solved? Do you... It's, what does that feel like as an <laughs> idea?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm working on it right now. Um, try, just like uh, trying to trying to think about how I can like creatively like recontextualize these like institutional structures like in benefit to like other community projects and so that is yeah I'm working on writing this class right now um, that will exist as a project within a native community that's close to here it's in Hollister um, called Indian Canyon and it's the only federated Indian land between here Or Well, actually, Point Reyes in um, Santa Barbara. So it's this place that uh, the family who lives there has been there since before contact. It's where um, Indigenous people during the mission time would go and and hide. So it's kind of way back in, and it wasn't a place that the Spanish were looking. So it has this, like, very um, just long history of being a sanctuary, kind of. And so... What's going on there now is there's there's families that are living there. Um, it's a very small community, but um, there's a couple people that are getting older, and so there's some ideas of like how to build structures. It's totally off the grid, so everything's you know kind of configured for that place, and so looking at like how we can um, do like different like garden projects and natural building projects to hopefully like situate these elders in a comfortable way um and so that that kind of came out of a meeting canyon who who lives in this community and grew up there and was born there her umbilical cord is buried there her mother's umbilical cord is buried there you know it goes on and um and she's really trying to what she does as an indigenous woman is, is work around the Bay Area and, and kind of insert traditional ecological knowledge into existing structures. So with her conversations have been really stimulating, and she's really interested in these edges too of like going into corporate America and talking about native, you know, perspectives on things and and kind of offering that. And so. Um, with this class you know the idea is is to kind of use the resources of the institution and the student body to you know have have a little bit of um hopefully financial backing but then also just people there that um are invested in like creating these these structures and working with the community and so that to me feels really exciting because it's like stepping out of just this trajectory of like oh this is I'm crossing off all these classes I need for my degree and then I'm done you know it's like it's an elective class so it is for people that want to pursue that it's not you know like a requirement but I just feel like those kind like I remember being an undergrad and just having a really blessed situation and you know all of these classes would just come up and it was just so amazing to be able to and it was a public, you know, state university. It wasn't anything fancy, um, but I just find that like the ability to experiment with that kind of stuff now is in education is a lot harder. And there's this like, like everywhere this grip of scarcity happens. And I think in education it's that way where it's like if it's not serving, if it's not serving a job market or something, then it's invalid. Which, like. I maybe I'm a purist thinking about what education can be and like what knowledge is and that, and again going back to that like creative power of knowledge and just how that just opens up so much and you know makes you not have to think like this is the only way I can do this like there's so many possibilities for everything and that's not to like negate that you know I come from a, um, a pretty privileged background my family is ma- Kind of working class it wasn't you know it wasn't like the kind of family where it was like a lot of old money so there is this sort of um, connection I have to like understanding like everything takes hard work and labor um, and so there's there's like a respect for that but I also grew up in a way where like my parents were the first generation to kind of go to college and you know have careers where they were able to give us you know pretty comfortable growing up um, and so you know for me it's like I never really I had the privilege to choose a, a, a course of study and a path in my life that like maybe you know it w- wouldn't be the case if I had to like if I didn't have food on the table growing up or something like that so there is there is that too that like I realize I don't maybe I can't really see into all of those those issues that certain students might just you know like it's not applicable to them because like they really need to like feed their children or whatever that is so.
0: I think you're touching on something that's like a really it's a really um, it's a really complex thing to talk about right because mm-hmm. I think even if you need to feed your children creativity does have a role mm-hmm. potentially in in how that happens right because because things don't work the same for everybody right Mm -hmm. and so there's not like this even application of I mean that's like the definition of privilege right Mm. That there's not an even application of access or um resources or you know the, the list could go on and on there um and I think I'm curious about well I'm curious about this in your work that you know Part of, the, part of the exploration of this project is that I don't really think that art is just something that just exists like mm-hmm. on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it exists in directions towards things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think of someone like famous like Andy Warhol or something that was kind of like making fun of that whole thing in mm-hmm. certain ways that it's just this mass produced spectacle. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that exists in its own direction, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying that the direction is always, like, um, benevolent mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or helpful, right? Mm-hmm. But I think things do, like, like the act of making art does exist in its own directions. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've noticed about your work is that it has this sort of looking in mm-hmm. and looking out quality. I feel like mm-hmm. I'll probably say this over and over again <laughs> in this conversation, but that what... Like, what direction is that? Act- like, why does it mm-hmm. face two directions? And, mm-hmm. like, why go do this work in Indian Canyon with mm-hmm. your class? And, you know, why is that? Like, where where is the power there? Like, what is how is that situated mm-hmm. for you in terms of a creative response? Um, mm-hmm. And I guess along with that, I, I have this, like, distinct feeling about it that there's this thing of, like, an anecdote to despair hmm yeah right and I don't I would love to hear from you like what what that act of making and remaking feels like as mm-hmm. you know, just
1: maybe what it feels like to even hear hear it framed like that hmm yeah yeah it's a really interesting way of putting it I mean I, I, I don't know that I would use those words but I can um, I, they land with me pretty pretty well um, Yeah, there. and it's funny, even, like, thinking about projects years ago, I was making these, like, plastic houses, and I made this whole, like, installation of these, like, hanging plastic houses out of these old plastic bags, and the idea was that, like, there wasn't, that, like, the walls were see-through and that, like, everything was sort of transparent. And I don't know, yeah, I don't know if I can really even go back and analyze what that was, but... But I do think there there has always been this thing of inner and outer, and I think part of it is because, like creativity and art, like there's like a responsibility that I feel with that, and like and maybe it is coming from a place of privilege and having 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 that responsibility to to not just be like um, self-serving or like grandiose or um, extravagant about it. About creating things, and there's just always been this like desire in me to like for justice, I guess. And um, as I've as I've, I guess through material, I kind of came to tracing materials and like looking at like the political ecologies behind the life of all of these things that we work with as artists, and that started to open up to me more of just like the path of a material as it comes from the earth into the studio like all of the lives that are implicated in that and I just and I was working in metal at the time and so I just got really disheartened by that I was and then I was only using like found metal or recycled metal and trying to figure out these ways of like of not extracting more so there's this like extraction thing that was like really it still does occupy a lot of my thoughts in in different ways than it was at this point but um, I think that like within that there's always been like coming from this place of responsibility I feel like I have to be doing the work inside in order to create an expression or an offering outside that like is coming from like an authentic place and I don't know that I'm always successful at that and I you know it's like I have to like struggle with my ego and like my desire to be seen and you know all of that too but like I, I feel like doing the doing the healing work and doing the inner work and kind of being humbled by that um, yeah, hopefully will will carry me through like into projects like in a better way than just you know wanting wanting the sort of recognition for doing something cool you know? um, But a lot of it too is developing a relationship to the earth and like in a spiritual way and like having you know experiences where I've lived off the land and I've lived, you know, off the grid, and and I understand what it is to like live in a very simple way and like how kind of stilling that is. Um, and I just, you know, I would eventually. I want to, you know, if that's how I want to like be living. I feel this like urgency right now to participate in what's happening socially and ecologically in the world, and I feel like urban environments and especially this place like the bay area um is really fertile for that and it's really challenging me and like and looking at like my whiteness and my privilege and and seeing how all of those things affect also what i'm able to output and how i have access that you know other voices probably have way more to say (laughs) than i do you know or way more insight and so i think part of what i'm thinking about now is like how i can Kind of like with Indian Canyon, how I can sort of put myself into certain collaborations but not have to be the leader, you know, but sort of offer some sort of like organizational principle maybe or like some kind of direction and then like see how the whole thing kind of fleshes out itself. Because um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a pretty good leader, but I'm, I'm not really, I've never really responded very well to being like told what to do. So, you know, I don't, I don't like doing that in class. I don't like, you know, coming at, at things with, like, an authoritative perspective. Um, and, and then, again, it's like when I'm, when I'm not doing my inner work or I'm not, you know, kind of keeping up with that, like praying or doing yoga or, like, doing these things that, like, have, have healed me, and that's a very personal thing. And, and so when I'm not, when I'm being lazy about that, I notice that, like, things in, the, in my outer world are... More jagged.
0: Well, it made me think about Whiz World. Oh yeah, Whiz World. Yeah. That it seems like when we were when we were preparing for this conversation, you were telling me like I'm even you know, use these exact words, but basically like I'm trying a bunch of different tactics to mm. decenter myself, mm. but still be making different things, uh-huh right? And um, Indian Canyon definitely seems like one like tactic or one kind of strategy to do that like you mm-hmm. positioning yourself as the instructor of the course who's navigating this whole bureaucratic entity and everything and then bringing students there but also really not wanting to be the center of that and I'm sure that's a complex thing to mm-hmm. decenter yourself in that process that like there's a lot that pushes you to the center because right. of your privilege and your access and things yeah. like that um, but then Whiz World is this totally different way to Think about playing with what that external world is, but kind of based on some internal experience, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. if you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, Wizworld is so fun. Um, it is a project, a speculative, magical, feminist project, and it exists mostly as a publication. Um, trying to be quarterly, but I, I'm, I'm not sure what. This year, there's some different things going on. We're having a special issue called Hellmouth, which is exploring Hellmouth <laughs> as a as an entity um, and so yeah with WizWorld world basically all of the contributors have a Wiz identity so we're, we're not writing as I'm not writing as Kim Zitzo I'm writing as well I'm not going to tell you who I'm writing as because it's anonymous but I'll just say that my Wiz identity is non-human and it's an entity and it um, really has just like the way that I can I can write from that perspective is really fun and really playful and just thinking about like yeah it's it, it is about um talking about the like the lived experience of experiences of female artists and that is like one of the goals but like there's also this this field of like opening up for for play and this anonymity thing is like really really fruitful for that because um, even though like the whiz is no my Wiz identity um i'm not as you know I feel a little bit less self-conscious maybe about what I put out there as that identity because it's, like, this, like, this part of me that's, like, kind of orbiting and, like, coexisting, like, with other identities that I hold, you know, so it feels um, just less, like, final, I guess. So then in that way it's, like, it can be um, more kind of intuitive or playful in how I approach things, because I definitely, like, and I think it comes a little bit from my German heritage, and just this growing up, and, like, well, you know, gotta just suck it up and push through, and, like, you know, any problems you have are created by yourself, so good luck, and, you know, (laughs) pick yourself up, you know? Um, And so, like, there's some of that, like, really strong, kind of individualistic, ingrained... Stuff that I have that I feel like I, I try to, like, work out. But um, this kind of gives me a way of, like, sort of folding into a larger entity as something else, if that makes sense. So,
0: yeah. Well, it seems like that's going on with a lot of these projects, mm-hmm. actually, but, like, different <laughs> ways, right? Yeah. So maybe let's also hear about we're sitting in your studio. Uh-huh. And this is also a collective project and practice yeah right yeah explain maybe give us a little tour
1: yeah so um, studio space it's called Mutual Stores and it's down in Fruitvale uh, in Oakland and um, it was started by Rosa Novak and Kate Pruitt mostly and then this other woman Tanya Butterworth um, kind of she she's a really amazing kind of conceptual artist archivist and so um, what she brings in is I guess, is that kind of like the pragmatics of like, okay, how are we going to have this collective studio? That is also an artist residency. Um, and it was started with Rosa, who got a Wingate grant. And so that's how we're able to have this like excess space in the back where there's an artist in residence every three months. And then we have a, like a communal space where there's kiln and um, just some like shared tools. And then we we built a garden out back for doing, like, natural dyeing of plants. And so, like, I'm not a ceramicist, but I'm excited to learn more about ceramics. Like, I've never really... that's like, one medium I've never really explored much. Um, But that is, like, a big focus of Rose's work and of Kate's work a bit. And then another of our members, Kathy. And so what happens with ceramics is like there's a lot of water use and there's a lot of power to like fire the kiln and so what the project is is like trying to do all of those things that have a, a zero carbon footprint and like what that looks like as a collective with like very different practices kind of coming into that that um, equation of like what kinds of energy is being used, you know. Um, but there's, you know, so it's been a lot of like lot of meetings and a lot of like identifying like where certain functions overlap like how some of the water that's used with the processing with the clay processing can be used in the garden and you know all those kinds of things so it's it was actually interesting because we were supposed to be in here last february and you know we were all kind of stoked to be and i had just kind of met rosa in the fall of 2017. So I didn't know her very well. I didn't know anybody very well, but you know, I kind of interviewed for the position to be part of the collective and then I was accepted and then thought we were like going to just jump right in. But there was all of these like permit issues and like there was the the space was amazing because the landlord built it out exactly as Rosa and Kate had like drawn up the plans for it. So it was it felt like this thing where it was like, you know, very specific and really just amazing to have something like emerge that's exactly as you kind of wanted it but then with all of like just the crazy building that's going on around here obviously this wasn't the contractors only thing (laughs) so long story short it took a year to get in so we had this year where we were like maybe it'll be next month and then it just was like okay it's not going to be next month so but he was very nice and he let us build the garden like in that time and so it was actually this really amazing um thing that emerged where it was like we were doing all of this like work together and like getting to know each other at the same time and so now I feel like we're that we're actually in the space it feels much more like we're much more together and like we understand each other's goals and and then I realized, like, it wasn't until, like, maybe six or seven months into knowing these people that I really understood what they were doing and, like, how they were thinking about this just because it's, like, you know, you can ask a question and, like, an answer comes, but, like, maybe you, like, forgot that one thing that you wanted to say or, you know, and so it just takes time for these things to, to come up. So um, I actually think as frustrating as it was to have to wait that long, like, it really... Um, showed me a lot about just the importance of like slowly building relationship and like how organic that is and how you can't just have it be like okay once a month we're gonna meet for an hour and this is how we're gonna build our relationship you know it's um, and having like projects you know going on and building together and problem-solving together again this creative aspect that like like I' in my in my life I've just I've never really experienced um, I guess, like, really profound forms of intimacy unless there's been that aspect of creating with someone or, like, you know, really delving into a problem together. Um, And I guess, I mean, not in a romantic sense of intimacy, I mean, I think that's a little bit different, but, like, um, but just, you know, in friendships and, like, really wanting to create, like, deep connection with people, you know, and, and then also, like... Not everybody's deep connection points are the same, <laughs> so it's like you know, dancing around that a little bit too. Yeah,
0: I feel like this thing keeps coming up for me as we're talking. Where I'm gonna, oh hi June, we have a mm-hmm. we have a dog visitor. Yeah, she's gonna be crunch chewing on this her <laughs> bones a little bit noisily. So <laughs> if, you, if you hear that, you know what that is. Um, yeah, I'm gonna get the quote wrong, but it feels like it's the quote for today because it's the the Oakland teachers are on strike Mm -hmm. today and it's that June Jordan quote about like we are the ones we've been waiting for Mm. whatever Um, I just feel like when I hear about your all these things you're doing it's sort of like there there's this bigger imagining happening outside of you Mm. right where you are it seems like really questioning this role kind of of the individual in it but also Mm. it has to be you in mm-hmm. these situations right, right. Like, yeah. you have to take up your own space and your own size as, as who you are with the things that you actually come with both good and bad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. much easier in a conversation like this <laughs> to be like these are the good ones but, yeah. <laughs> but you know like the, no, just that knowing of that and um, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just curious to hear you talk about like what would happen if artists weren't an individual thing like what if it were conceptualized a different way
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I was thinking about this this morning, just um, in relation to where I'm teaching and what's going on there, and just some shifts that are happening, and um, and just how like I re- like the the romance of the artist as like this lone genius is like a really unfortunate story that is. You know, still kind of perpetuated as like what an artist is. Because, you know, students that come in and they're just like, oh, I just want to take a sculpture class. I've never done anything. I've never used a ruler before or whatever, you know, like they think that this role of an artist is this like out there, you know, you just have to be born that way, you know, an unattainable sort of thing. Like, I'll just play around down here. But it's like, it's, it, yeah, it's a shame because it's, it's really not that way. And I think what's been happening. I don't know, in the social practice world, I mean, I have a little bit of, I'm not, I, I guess these all these genres, I think we need things to, like, to frame what we're doing and, and have a conversation and build a, a history, but I think sometimes, like, it's limiting to even, like, like I don't even really like calling myself an artist anymore, and I'm not really sure what another word is, um, culture worker is a little too Marxist, but, like, I do kind of enjoy that, that idea of thinking about like how we are creating culture because I think some of it for me is like um, especially like you know having worked within like indigenous communities for like the past 16 years you know in different capacities and in different countries and in this country and like always being brought back to this thing like it's not all about you and you're not the only one in this like there's a web and it's interconnected and you know we all have our parts to play like we all have our our roles and the ways like that we poison and the way we feed and you know all of those things um but yeah that it's that it's just like it's it's very interconnected and that like the role of the artist like it's just like you're you're kind of putting yourself in this like alchemical situation and like I think sometimes, especially when people have like a really like deep skill set of like really understanding a material really well or just like really working in one specific kind of way, it like kind of creates like blinders for like how certain processes can be applied to other situations and I think with with i think a lot i think I think the the Western notion of art is the problem, so I don't think art exists in the same way in other communities and and, and what it's used for and in service of. And um, there's something else I really wanted to say, but maybe it'll come back.
0: <laughs> I'm curious. So, if an artist is not that, what is it?
1: Uh huh.
0: And yeah. also, maybe let's just call it artist culture workers. For the rest of the conversation, just to give it
1: a shot, because maybe it's oh, well, that's what it was. <laughs> okay, great. It was the culture work part. So, like, I like this idea of so, yeah, you know, having the the privilege to be in these indigenous communities and be exposed to people that knew their great great grandmothers and know their old songs and know like the story of their land. Like, um, most of us don't have that, and like, there's this way of like. Like what is this culture that what is our culture what is white culture like that like James Baldwin's like there is no white culture you know like so um, I think there's like a responsibility that that artists and culture like have as culture workers to like create something meaningful from this existence and like all of these things that we're doing and like part of you know art training is to like observe and to find patterns and to you know find ways that things relate and overlap and um, just, like, yeah, doing doing those processes through just, like, learning a medium, I think, like, it trains your brain to sort of think in that way in a broader scope. So, like, yeah, I guess as a, a white, privileged female artist, like, I want to create a culture that is about connection, about, you know, something authentic. I know that's a problematic word, but, like, you know, because my, maybe my version of authenticity, like, isn't a lot of other people's, I don't know, but... Um, I think there is something that, like, there is something you can feel as true when that happens. Like, when I hear a student say something really true, it's just like, and I get chills, you know, and it's like, oh, my God. Or, you know, being in, in a ceremony and, like, the healer says something where you're just like, whoa, that's true, you know, and I think that is something that can be felt by anyone.
0: thanks for everyone who made this show possible today big love to air of colors for the music in the show you can find more of their music at airofcolors.com. if you like this podcast show us some support by liking it sharing it with your friends or leaving a review in the itunes store you can also buy tea or donate directly at fullmoonproject.org